Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Final hour of the show here on News Radio 1070 WKOK and of the week. Max Trillo here with you. It is the best of the Steve Jones Show. Steve on vacation, always in the Sunbury Motor Studio, though. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors here, routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com, Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all new pre-owned inventory, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. And every Friday show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket, imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks, they roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. And that pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none, and six great flavors of ice-cold slushies. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. We kick off this final hour of the week with the man himself from Mount Carmel, the GM of the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, led him to a Super Bowl championship two years ago. Got back to the Super Bowl this past year before losing to the Bucks. And he was kind enough to take time out of his busy schedule, getting ready to head down to Tampa to join us here on the Steve Jones Show. One of our biggest interviews of the year, and we will replay that now. Brett Veach joins Steve during Super Bowl week. How you guys doing? I, I hope the snow is letting up there. I've been following the, the, you know, the weather, weather.com. I've been on it every day checking out uh, Tampa's weather and seeing if we're going to get rain. And it couldn't, you know, couldn't help to notice all the snow you guys are getting there, back there on the East Coast. Yeah. Hopefully you guys are all yeah. safe. Yeah, a lot, about 18 inches in the uh, valley, and then here in State College, about uh, 12, so. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are lucky then, right? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. again, it, you know, here at Penn State, we get away scot-free every time. Uh, exactly. Brett, uh, one of the keys to your job, obviously, is roster construction. You've been able to keep your core group together because getting there once is hard getting there twice is an incredible accomplishment how important was the construction of the Mahomes contract to then allow you to keep your core group together with other key players well yeah I mean it was a big part of it and um, you know certainly um, when you're paying someone like Pat Mahomes you know the biggest contract in in U.S. history I mean there's going to be challenges in regards to how you fill out the rest of your roster but um, the cool thing was that you know we had worked on this for for years and and um, you know I joke with people all the time that you, you know we believed in Pat from the moment we drafted him and and really by his second year we were already throwing ideas and concepts and you know the only thing that changed uh, I think from the time that Pat got here to the off season was um, you know the total dollar amount so I think we had always from the time we drafted him prepared for a franchise type quarterback but you know after that first season as a starter when he did things that you know we knew were possible but when he did them so quickly we quickly thought well listen this guy may set the market uh in a couple of years and and you know we started early on the process and you know i give my cap guys a lot of credit 
um, a couple years ago when, you know, he was still a few years away from, from being a, um, uh, in this position to sign. I mean, we were like, why are we thinking about, you know, comparing markets? And why are we thinking about this quarterback or that quarterback? I mean, why don't we just talk about a baseball contract? And, and you know, we threw out Mike Trout's contract, and I think that was one of the first deals that we looked at. So, you know, early on, you know, just like Pat is kind of an outside-the-box player, we, we kind of approached um, his contract extension and negotiation with that mindset, like let's not look at what past markets have done, let's, you know, recreate what this looks like. And that's why, you know, a 10-year deal is kind of unprecedented. Um, but that's the faith we had in him. And, and it always takes two to, to make things work. So you have to have a player and an agent that is willing to, um, you know, to buy into that. So Pat in regards to, you know, on one end, he's the highest paid player in the league, but on the other end, when you do a long contract like that, there's a lot of flexibility and maneuverability within those within those years and how it's structured. So that will allow for us to potentially move money around and, and to get talent. And, you know, I think Pat understood that he'll be taken care of, and, and but at the same time, like, he also knows there's a lot of talent in this building and wants to see those players stay here. So by doing a long contract, it'll allow us to, to have some maneuverability. So a huge tribute to Pat and his his representation for allowing us to get creative. To me, Brett, it's always been invaluable to actually physically be at a practice. It's invaluable to see things for yourself. Tape is invaluable. There's no getting around. Video is invaluable. You went down to Texas Tech yourself, and I think you were looking at somebody else. What was it when you actually saw him in person that made you go back to Andy Reid and say, you know what, uh, we got to talk about something? Well, yeah, I mean, there was a couple. Now, uh, fortunately, um, we were here in Kansas City, and, and you know, being located um, very close to, to Lawrence, Kansas, and, and Manhattan, you, you know, we had a chance to see him, right? So, um, you know, there were quick drives to see him play at K-State and, and quick drives to see him play at Kansas. Um, but also, see that you know, the moment that really sticks out was I drove to Ames, Iowa, to see him play at Iowa State, and... Yeah. That game, you know, they got completely annihilated. And um, I remember it was – I don't remember exactly, but it felt like um, even in the press box, but just walking to the, to, the, to the press box, it felt like it was in the single digits that day. And the wind was swirling, maybe 15, 20, 25-mile-an-hour <laughs> winds. And, you know, you saw him cut the ball um, early on in pregame. Um, but also you saw him face a bunch of adversity. Um, you know, early in the game, he went down with a shoulder injury – um, went back in the game, um, made some pretty unbelievable throws under duress. Um, the game was – they were getting completely blown out at halftime. I believe it was 35-7 or something like that at halftime. He left again in the second quarter. Um, the kid kind of made it known that he was going to come out. So in your mind, you're thinking, okay, they're not ball eligible. It's 35-7. Um, the only thing he has at stake here is getting hurt in this game. So I actually packed up my bags to leave. And as I was walking back out of the stadium, I saw him on the field for the third quarter. Now, they went on to lose the game, and they didn't have a comeback or anything like that, but that's just his mindset. Like, he had nothing to play for, but he wanted to play because he wanted to compete. So when you factor in all the talent and you factor in, you know, the love of the game and the compete and the way he was brought up in his pedigree, you know, your mind starts to get creative, and you think, well, what if, what if you put him with Andy Reid? And what if you surrounded him with some talent? So that's kind of where it all started, but it, it was really – a moment that people won't look at and say, you know, a blowout loss to Iowa State was when you had this epiphany. But really, that's kind of when you start thinking about all the intangibles. 
like you mentioned, that you know you're not going to see on tape, but you'll see it in person if you're there. And um, a 42-7 loss to Iowa State is not going to tell you a lot if you just watch the tape. But if you're there and you see what he went through, um, it means a lot more. Last year, you know, one of the, the pluses I have in working uh, Penn State football games with my broadcast partner Jack Ham is I get a great perspective on all the things. And the player that he locked in on and probably talked to me about more uh, last season than anybody else, he said, Steve, every time I watch this Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he said, that's a running back that can not only run, but man, he runs legitimate routes out of the backfield. So the linebacker comes out in there. You know, I mean, you're drafting last. He comes to your spot. What did you see that say, you know what, he can make an explosive offense even better? It's funny because, you know, when you look at the tag, uh, and I'm actually looking at my depth chart right now, and I had heard a lot about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and, you know, my staff um, loved the kid and raved about the kid. And I remember looking at the tag before I put the tape on, and I saw 5072, you know, 458. I'm thinking to myself, okay, 5072, you know, um, uh, four, uh, 458 or 456, I think he ran. Um and I was like, man, this guy better be really good. I mean, you know, to play in this league at five seven and run, you know, four five five, four five eight. And you put the tape on, and the guy is just has unbelievable vision. Um, as you mentioned, Steve, a phenomenal route runner, a mismatch, um, such a low center of gravity, and you know, pound for you know, Coach Reed and I talk about this all the time. He's probably the toughest player on our team, pound for pound. And it's you know, this is a uh, you know, as you you see in high school and in college, but when you get to the NFL, I mean. Um, the the contact and and some of the um, uh, the violence of the hits are are just amazing and and to see this kid it takes two or three people to bring him down um, so for being such a small player I mean he he's he's the rare five seven in, he's an in between tackle runner which you know to me he reminded me a lot of Brian Westbrook because Brian was like that too where you know Brian was small but he had just an innate ability. Um, to finish runs moving forward, and despite being small and, and not being six foot two twenty five, um, always required the defense to have two or three arms around him, or he was going to make plays. And he, he's done that all year. Got banged up a little in the New Orleans game, and, and you know he missed some time. Um, but you know, fortunately for us, he, he was able to come back last week. And you know, I think with the extra week we've had before the Super Bowl, really looking forward to him um, being out there and being at full go for, for Sunday because we're going to need him. Last year, one of your starters in the offensive line at guard was Stefan Wisniewski from Penn State. And, of course, he's a 10-year guy, so, he, you know, eventually he moves on to the, the Steelers. But when you had a chance to get him back, you brought him back. Now, this is not a high-profile move. So in moves like that, Brett, what does trust mean for Brett Veach when he makes a move like that? What does trust mean for Andy Reid in bringing a player like that back? Well, I mean, it's a, he's a Penn State lineman, right? So he just, he writes, it goes without saying. I mean, if you, you know, played on the old line at Penn State, he's going to come through for you. But no, listen, it means a lot. And, you know, we joked the other day, you know, death taxes and Stefan Wisniewski starting the Super Bowl. I mean, the guy just, you know, has a way of, of um, you know, being there. He did it for Philadelphia. And, and then when he came here and, you know, he started first last year in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I think when he went to Philly, he was a backup that earned his way onto the roster. And then he came us midway through the season and and you know um extremely smart tough competitive i mean when he plays it's not always the prettiest but he, he he finds a way to get things done knows what he's doing and loves to compete and even when we find him in the middle of the season you know 
from my standpoint, I mean, you always have to prepare for the, the what ifs, and you, you never know. And I mean, look, we've lost like four or five linemen this year. Now, I wouldn't have expected that, but I approached it as if we need a veteran offensive lineman at some point, there's no one more than I trust in him um, because he's going to know how we do things. Um, he's going to know his assignments. He's going to prepare. He, he's, he's, you know, the book definition of the textbook definition of what it means to be a professional. He, he handles everything the right way, and he's always prepared. And when opportunities present themselves to him, um, he makes the most of them. And, and, you know, that's what we knew we were getting. And, and last year we signed him midway, and, and he helped us win a Super Bowl as a starter, and, and now he's in the same position this year, and hopefully we have the same outcome. One final question for you, Brett. We really appreciate your time very much. I've always felt that where you grow up sometimes can really set a foundation for who you are, what your interests are, and so forth. What did, what did and what does Mount Carmel continue to mean to you? Oh, I mean, listen, it's a special place. And, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, I, you know, listen, first and foremost, I mean, I'm blessed with a great family. And, and um, you know, they taught me everything I know. But I think, you know, growing up in Mount Carmel and the passion they have for the sport of football, um, you know, this profession, you know, it's tough. And, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices you have to to make um, to move up and, and, and move on. And I think it's, you know, growing up in a town like Mount Carmel where, where football was so important to me at an early age, um, it really fueled that fire. And, you know, it was football wasn't important to me when I got a chance to work in the NFL. Football has always been important to me. It was always important to me because of the place I grew up in because it was important to Mount Carmel. And so I carry that with me uh, where I go. You know, if, if I grew up in some other town in some other state, you know, would I have had the ability to sacrifice so much to be in this position? Probably not. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, to me, it's like um, Mount Carmel and being raised in that town is, is really the reason why I'm here. And, you know, the people um, that I grew up with and, you know, we all have that shame, same, um, shared that same love and, and passion uh, for the game. And, you know, I've carried with, you know, I've carried it with me forever. And, you know, again, I, I think if I'm, I grew up somewhere else, I'm probably not here talking to you today. Brett, congratulations on what you've accomplished so far, and best of luck coming up uh, on uh, Sunday with Tampa Bay. We appreciate the time you gave us very, very much, and appreciate you very much. Anytime. Uh, always always enjoy catching up, and uh, look forward to seeing uh, Beaver Stadium pack next year, and, and you guys having fun, as you always do. Appreciate that very much, Brett. Thank you so much. Good luck Sunday. Thank you. And that is the GM of the Kansas City Chiefs and Mount Carmel's own Brett Veach. What a thrill it was to have him join us, of course, during Super Bowl week as his team was going for back-to-back championships, of course, did fall, unfortunately, to the Bucks in Super Bowl 55. But it was just great to see him not only reminisce on what he's done with the Chiefs, but also what he's done in the Mount Carmel community. They renamed the weight room after him. You've got Brett Beach way now leading up to the Silver Bowl where the Mount Carmel football team still plays their game. So it's a guy that doesn't forget where his roots were and still are and always comes back to the area as well all the time as far as I know. So it was great to have him on with Steve a little bit earlier this year. Final half hour of the show coming up. Ray Denninger is going to join us on his new memoir that just came out not too long ago. Finish business, my 50 years of headlines, heroes, and heartaches after the Eagles won Super Bowl 52. Lots of great stories coming with that as well. 
Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the Beverage Supermarket, and Steve, always in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ray Denninger to close out the week next here on the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Party time, game time, or just fun time. Doesn't matter what time it is, because it's Brewers Outlet time. The Beverage Supermarket has the area's largest beer selection, imports, microbrews, ciders, and domestics. Pick from over 100 ice-cold 12-packs and dozens of 24-ounce singles. Soda, snacks, hot sauces, fresh roasted peanuts. Make it one-stop party shopping, and don't forget the pickle bar. So whatever you're celebrating or just doing it up, Brewers Outlet Reagan Street Sunbury wants to see you. And thank you for your years of patience. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Final half hour here on the Steve Jones Show, a best of here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Matt Trillo here with you. Steve on vacation, but as always in the Sunbury Motor Studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Humboldt Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, all new pre-owned inventory, all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. And every Friday show, brought to you by our good friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket, imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drink, snacks, they roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day, and the pickle bar led by the barrels and the dills, indeed second to none. Six great flavors of slushies as well. All at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, and Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. And we close out the show and week with a treat. Ray Denninger joined us a couple of weeks ago on the show talking about his new memoir, Finished Business, My 50 Years of Headlines, Heroes, and Heartaches, kind of recapping the Eagles' Super Bowl win a few years ago what it meant to him, his career, his family, 
course, he had the touching moment with his son for those that were watching on NBC Sports Philly during postgame live at the Super Bowl. His relationship he had with Tommy McDonald, the player he grew up watching, that was kind of his hero, and it's just it's just really good stuff. So here is Ray Denninger joining Steve a few weeks ago on The New Book. You know, it's really cool when uh, somebody is considered to be a legend and they just happen to be an absolute down-to-earth guy. That's how I would describe Ray Dittinger. Ray, welcome. It is great to have you back with us on the show today. Always good to be with you, Steve. Thank you. All right. So let's get to finished business. This is really cool. Um, In all the years that you're in this business, I'll, I'll start with this. There's an assignment in my sports broadcasting class here at Penn State where they have to go out and cover an event. And I said, look, don't come back and just say, and in the third, he got a base hit to knock in a run. And in the fifth, they scored this way. <laughs> I said, so you got to go the game within the game and find a story. And that's the assignment. you got to find a story within the game. When did you learn that lesson at a young age in this business? Oh, I learned it before I got in the business, Steve. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I learned it as a kid growing up in my grandfather's bar. Uh, it was, um, you know, people have often asked me, you know, who were your great writing influences? You know, how did you, how did you learn how to write? Who taught you how to craft a story? Um, and, you know, certainly the Sandy Grady's and the Larry Merchants and the Stan Hockmans had a big influence on me. Uh, but I think the biggest influence is my grandfather. Um, you know, he owned a bar in southwest Philadelphia, uh, and we lived in a little apartment a block away. And from the time I was eight, nine, ten years old, I pretty much lived in my grandfather's bar. I sat at the end of the bar drinking Cokes, watching TV, and listening to my grandfather tell stories. Uh, and he could tell a story better than anybody. Uh, in the book, I describe him as he was the garrison keeler of southwest Philadelphia. Uh, and, and, sit, and sitting at the end of the bar, just listening to him talk about the Phillies game of the previous night, or talking about Joe Walcott and Ezra Charles, I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, I just sat there, and uh, he had the ability to, to set a scene, describe the action, and just draw you in that was... Uh, even as a kid, it was just it was just magical. And uh, I mean, he packed the bar every day, and people just came. They came for the beer and they came for the cold cuts, but they mostly came to hear my grandfather tell stories, and that was kind of where I learned. What did it mean in the World Series when you and your dad made eye contact after the Phillies won? Oh, that was what a moment that was. Uh, it was the '80 World Series, and uh, you know, it's it's Game Six and it's the ninth inning, and they make the announcement in the press box. Okay, uh, all members of the working press, you know, head downstairs to the interview room. And, and you know, I had done that run a million times because uh, nobody ever wants to wait till the end of the game. I mean, you don't want to get caught in the crowd. You don't want to be caught in the craziness. God forbid you should get caught in the press elevator, which we've all done at various <laughs> yeah. times. Uh, but, you know, this night, I mean, everybody got up. They packed up their stuff, and they headed for the elevator, and they went downstairs. Uh, and I was the last guy left in the press box. And I said, you know what? I'm not going. Um, I've waited my whole life to see the Phillies win a World Series. Uh, and they're about to do it right now. Uh, and I don't want to be in some windowless room at the basement of the vet watching it on TV. I just won't. I just don't. I, I, I want to I be here in the press box with the windows open, and I want to see it, and I want to hear it, and I want to feel it, and I want to smell it. <laughs> I want to mm-hmm. just wrap myself in it, you know. And, and so I just stayed. I mean, the only guys left in the press box were Harry Callis, Rich Ashburn, me, and the PR guy, Larry Shank. <laughs> uh, and, and I just uh, – and part of it was <clears> – <throat> 
and part of it was I knew my grandfather where his seats were. He was right below. He was literally right below me. Uh, he was right below the press box. Uh, so he, you know, he was right within sight. Uh, and when Tug McGraw throws that last pitch past Willie Wilson, and Willie Wilson swings and misses, uh, I looked down at him, and he looked up at me, and our eyes met, and uh, and he gave me this big smile and a big thumbs up, and. Uh, you know, we had that connection at that moment, and for me, that was that was the World Series parade right there. I mean, that was it. And uh, so I was determined I wasn't going to be downstairs. I didn't want to miss out on that moment. And that's how I remember the '80 World Series. I had the same kind of connection with my grandfather when it came to sports, too. Yeah, you know, sure. He may not, he may not have had it. He may not have been you know at the bar, but I had the same connection with my grandfather. And it's interesting. I have the same connection today with my children. So now I, I fast forward to the Super Bowl. What did it mean when David was there and you could share that moment? You know, that was great, Steve. Um, and I, I honestly think that um, if that hadn't happened, uh, if the Eagles hadn't won that game uh, and David and I hadn't had that moment after the game, which was <laughs> televised live to <laughs> yeah. God knows how many thousands of people, <laughs> if all that stuff hadn't happened, um, I, I will tell you honestly, the book never would have been written. Um, what really prompted me to write the book, what really prompted me to sit down and, and just kind of just put all this stuff together in form of a book, was that. It was it was that it was the it was the Eagles finally winning the Super Bowl uh, and having that very special moment with my son uh, and uh, and the way people responded to it, the way people reacted to it, the way it was so much bigger than I ever imagined it could be. Um, I just finally decided, you know, I, I I had a book publisher had wanted me to write kind of my memoirs before, and I tried it. I had tried it like four four years earlier, and I I just you know I wrote a couple chapters and I went got back to them and I said you know what no I can't do it. It just I, it, I I'm just not feeling it. Um, and I'm not going to write this if I don't really feel right about it. And he said, okay, fine, just forget about it, just put it away. And I did. Uh, but then after the Eagles won that Super Bowl, uh, and the, you know, David and I had that moment on camera, and people responded the way they responded, all of a sudden I said, you know what, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm ready to do that book now. And, uh, um, you know, if that hadn't happened, I don't think the book would have ever been written. But uh, the fact that it did and the fact that it, it touched, it seemed to touch so many people, uh, I just decided, you know what, I think this is a story worth telling. And I'm kind of glad I did. Once you actually started telling it, how quickly did it, did you get into a flow of writing this? Yeah. For, uh, really fast. I mean, and for and for me, like really fast. Uh, and yeah. and anybody that knows me knows what a painstakingly slow writer I was. I mean, I had. Uh, I mean, I was. I was literally known around the world is probably stretching it, but certainly around the country, uh, I was known as the slowest sports writer in, in creation. Uh, it just took me forever to write a story. For, I mean, forever to write a story. Um, I mean, I was locked in every press box, every stadium, uh, every venue, every arena, um, in North America, for sure, um, because they just assumed there couldn't possibly be anybody still working. And they would just lock the doors and turn out the lights, and <laughs> that was it. Uh, I mean, that happened to me everywhere. Um, 
so it was it was really it was really a struggle to write, for me to write it never came easy for me did for a lot of other guys i mean i saw you know the great bill lyon could write real fast uh stan hockman could write really fast um there were some guys that just had that gift i didn't i mean every time i sat down to write it was a struggle uh, uh but this one this one came pretty easy uh, this one came uh, once I started writing it, and once I kind of figured out what it was I wanted to say. Uh, the actual writing part of it came fairly easily to me. Obviously, we've talked about the successes, but obviously in Philadelphia, there's been some tough times. What does that do to the creativity of a writer trying to cover seasons like that? Um, no, it's a test, you know. Um, but I, I think that. One of the uh, you, what you touch on is it's a, it's a good point, Steve. Um, you know, I think that the fact that I lived through all of that, you know, I lived through the 1964 Phillies collapse. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't in the business then. I was still a college mm-hmm. student, uh, but I lived through it. Uh, and um, and you know, I you know, I, I mean, I cried. I mean, I, I I almost flunked out of college because of it. I mean, I was. I was. I mean, the, the Phillies collapsed in September of 1964. Damn near wrecked my life, yeah. uh, and I wasn't alone. I mean, the, all the people in the city. I mean, I saw all those faces on the subway in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I saw what people were going through. I lived through that. So that whole Philadelphia sensibility was was in me, and I had lived all that. So when I was lucky enough to get a job in newspapers in Philadelphia, and I never had to go anywhere else, and I was able to just stay here and write about the teams that I had grown up with and the city that I had grown up in, uh, I really thought it was a great advantage for me. Uh, you know, I mean, all the guys I've mentioned before, you know, Larry Merchant, Stan Hockman, Sandy Grady, Wicker, George Casita, all these guys, Tommy Cushman, great columnists, all of them, but they all came from other places. You know, I mean, Tommy Cushman and Bill Lyon were from Illinois. You know, Larry Merchant, Stan Hockman, Bill Conlon, they were from New York. You know, Wicker and Grady were from North Carolina. I mean, it's great columnists, all of them. But they had to learn Philadelphia. You know, yeah. I had it in my bones. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I grew up with it. And so when that moment that you and I are talking about, that Tug McGraw throws that fastball past mm-hmm. Willie Wilson, strike three, all over, Phillies win the World Series. You know, I didn't have to try and project and say, I wonder what this means to Philadelphia. Right. You know, I wonder what this means to the people in the stands. I wonder what this means to the millions of people watching on TV that are running into the streets right now. What does this really mean to them? You know, if you didn't grow up in Philadelphia, that, you know, you're, at, you're wondering that. I didn't have to wonder. You know, I was feeling what all of those people were feeling. And, and I think the, the idea that I kind of had that... Um, that sort of feeling and that kind of Philly sensibility. Uh, I still had the scars of 64. Uh, I think that was a real advantage of me when I sat down to write, because I think I was really writing with the eyes of a Philadelphia fan. Yeah, because um, I mean, I'm going into my 40th season of doing Penn State games. Sure. Look, I've seen, Ray, you know, I've seen some tough days. Sure. Okay? Oh, absolutely. What it, what it does, what it does, at least for my, and I'll see how you feel about it, that when something really good happens at least lends perspective it's not a gravy train moment you've got a perspective because you've seen what the struggle was like no question no question um so much of our life and so much of what how we relate to sports is is really about the context 
you know, it's it's about it's about the moment, it's about the achievement, but a lot of it has to do with the context. You know, where, how does this fit into the overall mosaic of this town, of this fan base, of this franchise? Um, you know, not, none of it none of it exists in a vacuum. You know, uh, you know, Nick Foles comes in and wins a Super Bowl for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. You know, he's win. You know, it, it, there's he's he's carrying on the torch from Norm Van Brocklin. He's carrying yeah. on the torch yeah. from Donovan McNabb. I mean, Tommy Thompson in the forties. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, even if he doesn't know any of those guys or know their names, the fact of the matter is that you know he's trying to do what they tried to do. And for the fans, for the generations of fans that have watched all this. You know they they see it that way. You know that this is their franchise, and they've been rooting for this team, and they've been hoping that this team could deliver for them. Uh, and they're hoping that this guy can do what these other guys couldn't do. Uh, and uh, that's the context. And you know, as you put it about all the things that you've seen at Penn State, you know, I've seen it all here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when I when I said I don't know that I would have written this book if the Eagles hadn't won, I think that's true. But once they did win, I almost had to do it. <laughs> it, yeah. it, went, it, it went from, it, I kind of like had to do it because um, I was coming up on, it, it, it really did mark 50 years of the business, which is a nice round number for sure. <laughs> but, it all, but it also meant at that point, as a, as a writer, as a journalist, working journalist in this city, you know, I had now seen the Flyers win two Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. I had seen the Phillies win two World Series. I had seen Moses Malone and Dr. J win an NBA championship in Philadelphia. The one missing piece was the Eagles. It was the Eagles bringing the Lombardi Trophy home. And once that happened, and especially in the manner in which it happened, yeah. I kind of said, you know what, i got to write this. You know, I mean, <laughs> this, this, this kind of brings the whole thing to conclusion. Um, and so that became the book, and that became the title. You know, the title of the book is Finished Business. And I really kind of felt like when the Eagles won that Super Bowl in Minneapolis, that was kind of, for me, finished business. They kind of completed the cycle. Finally, this one for you, Ray. For whatever reason, as a youngster, an athlete will make an impression on you. What was it about Tommy McDonald that made that impression on you? And then what did he do over the years to enhance his impression to you? My hero. My absolute hero. Um, I was just a little kid uh, when the Eagles drafted him in 1957. And I was a football savant from the time I was like six years old, my grandfather's bar. Um, <laughs> and I followed pro football and I followed college football. And at that time, there was no better football team than Oklahoma. Uh, they went on they 41 games in a row they won. And their star was this little itty-bitty guy named Tommy McDonald. Uh, and I was, just, I was just fascinated. I was fascinated by the college team that never lost. I was fascinated by this little guy that week after week did these amazing things. Uh, and then, lo and behold, in 1957, who drafts him but the Philadelphia Eagles? He's going to be coming to my hometown. Uh, and as in the book, I, I spend a lot of time talking about the fact that our family used to go to Eagles training camp, which was then in Hershey, uh, every summer. And we would go up there for two weeks, and we would watch every practice. Uh, and, and now I knew that Tommy McDonald was coming to Hershey. Uh, and so I started standing outside the locker room waiting for him to come out every day. 
uh, and uh, I swear to God, I was like eight years old, and he didn't seem like he was much bigger than I was. <laughs> or, and, he, and he almost looked as young. I mean, he had uh, he had this short cropped blonde hair, and he had this baby face. Uh, and I would wait for him every day outside the locker room, and he would come out, and he would see me, and he started calling me little brother, and he would say, "Here, you want to carry my helmet?" And I would take his helmet, and I would walk with him to the practice field. And this became a ritual that went on for his whole time with the Eagles. Uh, and we developed this really this really lovely relationship where he was just so kind to me uh, and he made me feel so important. And when he called me little brother, it felt real to me. Mm. Uh, so I had that experience. And then, of course, once the season started on Sunday, I'd go out to see him at Franklin Field and he was such a great player. I mean, he was, he was just, he was just great. I mean, he wasn't just great, but he was thrilling and he was exciting and he, he played with such exuberance and such joy that it was just, yeah, everybody loved him. I mean, he was, he was the most popular guy on the team and the kids loved him, but everybody loved him. Um, but in my mind, in my heart, he was mine. <laughs> and he was, yeah. in my mind, he was my guy. Uh, and in our section, in the stand section, double E, whenever Tommy would make a big catch or score a touchdown, everybody would start pointing at me and saying, your boy, your boy, your boy. Uh, and, and so then later on, when he retired and I became a sports writer and I got to know him a little bit on another level, um, you know, I, I knew that the one thing in his life that he was kind of missing was the Hall of Fame. And he certainly belonged in there, but it looked like it was never going to happen. Uh, so I began sort of a campaign to get him what he deserved, which was a place in Canton, Ohio. And uh, I, I tried and I tried and I tried. It took about 12 years, but finally in 1998 uh, he got in. Uh, and he asked me to be his presenter. And so, um, you know, this, this whole story plays out in the book. But, uh, you know, there I am, uh, August 1st, 1998, riding in an open convertible through the streets of Canton, quarter of a million people on the sidewalk. And I'm sitting there in this open convertible, sitting next to my boyhood hero. And we're on our way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I'm going to present him for induction. Uh and Steve, if that's not the definition of dreams coming true, I don't know what is. That is such a cool story. The book is entitled Finished Business, and with a lot of summer coming up here, it's going to be a perfect, great read before the next Eagles training camp. Ray, <laughs> and, a, and a wonderful Father's Day gift, I might add. Uh, and that, that, see, that leads you into summer. And then exactly leads you into right. training camp. Perfect. So if you could do that, that'd be great because it'd be well worth your time. I can't wait myself. Ray, thank you so much for your valuable time. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure, Steve. Anytime. Take care now. Well, those are really just tremendous stories. And I happened to be watching when he hugged his son on the set after the Super Bowl. And those are one of those moments you'll just never forget. It's one of the reasons why you love sports. And that was really cool to see. And I love the kind of relationship that he had with Tommy McDonald, his hero. Growing up as a boy, that that's that's just unbelievable. And he's had a remarkable career, of course, as well. And we thank him for joining us on the show. And hopefully we'll be able to touch base with him throughout the course of next season. And that is going to wrap up a best of here on the Steve Jones Show today and of this week as Steve has been enjoying vacation. Thank you for joining me and reminiscing on some of these great interviews we've had throughout the course of the year here on the show. It's always great to have you with us. We're back in action live Tuesday. No show Monday because of the holiday for the July Sunday, so we're taking the day off on Monday the 5th. So Tuesday the 6th, we're back live with some brand new shows, brand new interviews as we keep it rolling. Thanks for joining us here on the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. 
and Brewers Athletics.